Are you guys ready for the Word of God today? I said, are you ready? I need a little something to help me out today. All right, that sounds like the church I like to pastor. All right, today we are starting a new series entitled Grounded. Everybody say Grounded. Choosing stability in a rootless world. Today it seems that we are struggling to be grounded, to be consistent, to be, to be faithful in our life and, and in our faith. Studies have shown that things that used to have a strong fidelity or something that would require a lot of commitment, like marriage, raising kids, staying at a job, staying at a church, all of them are trending, trending down. In fact, some studies say the average person stays at a church that they love for three years. That's the newest. Some have got it down to 18 months. They love the pastor, love the church, just need something new, whatever reason, just uproot and move along and change things. It feels like, in my mind, it feels like that we have a mentality of like the monthly subscription attitude where we want a whole lot of options for not a lot of commitment. It's, it's like, how many of you were raised when you had to go to the movie rental facility and you had to go in? Like, like there used to be a thing called family video or blockbuster. And when, when we were kids, mom and dad would say, okay, we're gonna go rent a movie tonight. That was the most exciting night of the week. We would get in the car and we would drive to Family Video in Ritman, Ohio, and we would get out, all of us would be so excited, and we'd all settle in and we're gonna watch. <laughs> One of our favorite movies growing up was Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I don't endorse it now. I haven't watched it in years. I don't know what's happening. Now that I'm older, and probably know what's happening in the movie, but we watched Weekend at Bernie's, and then we'd go to the front, and we'd check out, and we'd go home and pop popcorn, and we'd put it in a VCR player. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Stick it in the VCR player, and then we'd watch it. And then when you were done, you had to be kind and re rewind. And then you would return it. And if you didn't return it, it was like a $75 like punishment fee. Now we could just pay $9.99 a month for thousands of movies on different subscription services. That's kind of the, and we can't decide what to watch. It takes forever. That's kind of the mentality that slipped into our, in our faith today that we want as much of God that we can give for the least amount of commitment that we can give back. And so I wanna talk this series about being, being grounded. Everybody say, be grounded. And in this series, we're gonna take four weeks and talk about four areas the Word of God teaches us to be grounded. Number one, God's Word. Week number two, God's Spirit. Week number three, God's Church. Week number four, God's mission. So today we're gonna to take time and, and focus on God's word. Everybody say God's word. 
Now, I wanna encourage you, when you came in, you received this little card with a QR code on the back of it. If you didn't get one, you can borrow one from a neighbor, but you can scan this, and we're gonna be sending devotionals out through text messages. It's gonna be some five or six minute devotionals that will help reinforce what we're teaching today, and through the next series, we're gonna be talking to you about this month. So, I wanna encourage you, take some time, scan that today, get on the, get on the text list, and we wanna be able to encourage you and enrich your faith a little bit more. Now, this four-week series is taken completely out of one area of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 42 through 47. The context is Jesus' ministry is over. He has been uh, crucified. He has been buried. He has now resurrected, and he's now ascended. We find that the Holy Spirit has fallen on the newly formed followers of Christ in Acts chapter number 2. They are on fire for God, and God is doing some supernatural work among them. And we find in Acts chapter two, verse 42, the Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. Notice that, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what we find here is a perfect blueprint of what the church should look like today. This is the first century model. People newly birthed in the kingdom of God. They've never been to a church service. Think of that. They never had a Sunday morning experience at Vibrant Church. They were just burned up with the presence of God and they were excited about God. And so the very first part of that verse, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts chapter six lets us know that the apostles were teaching the word of God. So two things I want you to catch. Number one, they devoted themselves. Nobody was devoted for them. Nobody can be devoted for you. Nobody can be grounded for you. Nobody can read your Bible for you. And <laughs> uh, just trying to help you understand that nobody can, can pray for you. And just because your mama was a Christian doesn't mean that by birthright you're a Christian. God doesn't have any grandbabies. Amen, somebody? They devoted themselves to the word of God. Everybody say the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says that all scripture is God breathed or God inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're talking today about, about the word of God, that the Bible that many of us have in our homes, nine out of 10 Americans own a Bible, whether they're 
Christian or not. We're gonna talk about this today. And I hope that I will help some of you solidify your faith in scripture. In a time when so many people are trying to discredit or deconstruct the importance of the word of God, my heart is today that we lift up the banner of the word of God in 2023. Amen, everybody. So a quick glance at some facts about the Bible. The Bible has 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It is written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. It was, was written on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. There, it was written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different human authors. God inspired these authors to write scripture, and we're gonna talk about it. The Bible is the most read book in history. The Bible is the most selling book in history. The Bible is the most translated book in history. And get this, the Bible is the most stolen book in history. Interesting. So I know you come to church, and when you come in, you'll hear me or maybe others will we'll open their Bible and they will say, we need to trust the Bible and you'll hear somebody preach about the importance of putting faith in his word and that you'll hear somebody say, you need to get in the Bible, you need to trust God's word, you need to just read it. And, and if you're like me, and so many of us have to work through this question, how do I know? How do I know that the Bible, that the word of God can be trusted? How do I know that the Bible, how do I know that the word of God can be trusted? Can I tell you today, that's okay to ask that question. Many of you maybe were raised in church like me and you were afraid to ask questions because it was, it was a signal of you have no faith. You're a bad Christian, you should just get this, you should not question this. But let's be real today, it's okay to ask questions about our faith. Have any of you ever asked the question, can this book be trusted? being honest. Can this, can this book be trusted? I want to give you five reasons why the Bible that we have today can be trusted, okay? Are you ready? I'm willing to fight with every skeptic in Jesus' name. Here we go. The Bible is historically accurate. Historically accurate. Well, Pastor Ethan, where's the evidence of this? Where's the evidence that it is historically accurate? Many historical references in scripture are not found anywhere else. Only later to be proven true through archeological discovery. Archeological research is where we begin to dig in the earth and we begin to discover things that verify scripture. Vody Bachman said that there are 23,000, and this is true, I was in Israel and saw they were still digging up things and they're still finding things today. In fact, when we were there, just two places that they found within the last three or four years, huge, huge breakthroughs in the history of scripture. Over 23,000 archeological digs and not one disproving scripture, including specific names, places, people, verifiable by outside sources of scripture, that the Bible is historically Accurate. Okay, Pastor Ethan, I get that. 
What about it being translated so many times? That, that's a big argument people have is that the Bible has been translated so many times from person to person to person. How can we trust that what we have is accurate? How many of you have ever heard that or wondered that? So let me help you. The Bible that we hold in our hands is, has been carefully and faithfully translated through the centuries, many of which the people that were called scribes, that, to, that committed their life to transmitting words from one piece of paper to another piece of paper. And it would take years to do one, sometimes many different writings. And when they did it, there was such a strict set of rules that these scribes went by that they would do letter by letter, not word for word, it was letter by letter. So when you actually study it, they were required to count the letters. So let's say the letter A, the book of Jeremiah had 1,000 A's in it. They were to count how many A's they had. And if they were one A short, they would burn that entire transcript. That's how serious they took taking the word of God and moving it forward. So they, they worked really hard at making sure these, what they call manuscripts, were accurate. And to help, even, help you even further, the Bible that we hold in our hands, the Bible that you own today, has many, many manuscripts in the past. So what we would do would be, okay, to validate that this is true and this could be trusted, let's go back like we would with anything, Aristotle, we would do this with, uh, we would do this with Caesar, we would do with any of their work, and we would go back to get as recent of the manuscripts that we could find to compare them to the scripture we have today. So we have had manuscripts that date 900 years after Jesus, the Old Testament specifically. 900 years after Jesus. Very, very important what I'm about to tell you. Those manuscripts line, align very well with the scripture we have today. In 1948, a little boy was in the mountain area, the arid area of Israel. I was there, it's very dry, very desert-like, and one day he was watching sheep. One of the sheep go into the cave, he throws a rock and hits a jar of clay. True story, look this up. He goes in and they discover hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts that are now called the Dead Sea Scrolls. They did carbon dating on those scrolls and found that they were written 100 years before Christ. Meaning that now we have, we had manuscripts from 900 years after Christ that now we have a 1,000 year gap to take what we currently have and compare with the entire Old Testament that they found in those caves, excluding the book of Esther, and compare them, 1,000 year gap. Now skeptics were excited, thinking that finally something to prove that the Bible has been poorly transcribed and people have manipulated it to control people. And when they took the 900 BC or AD, to the 100 BC, and they laid them beside each other, they were completely accurate with the variation of 5%, mostly with the spelling of names. Are you with me? That the word of God has been perfectly kept through all those years. And what's crazy is, those, the little variations they had were things like a apple versus an apple. 
small variations that did not change the stories or the doctrine of Scripture. Isn't that powerful to think that God has protected it? And think where he wrote it at. It was written and stored in Israel in an arid environment. God knew not to write the Bible in Columbus, Mississippi. <laughs> Humidity would have killed it before lunch. Well, Pastor Ethan, what about contradictions? Doesn't the Bible seem to have contradictions? Many skeptics will say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four, uh, the four gospels, aren't there contradictions? And they'll use the resurrection of Christ. And they'll say things like, this one says something different than this guy, and this one said this, and this one said that. Very common argument that people have to try to, to tear the Bible apart. And what's funny is, it's not, the, what we have to understand about the, the four gospels is that those are eyewitness accounts. They are not contradicting, they are complementary. So skeptics would say, because it seems a little different, then it must not be true. But skeptics would also say if they were identical, they would have been copied. Because their bias is in the way. They're not trying to see if the Bible is true, they're trying to disprove the Bible's not true. I don't know if I said that right, but you're with me. So, the contradictions, the people will argue that. And what's interesting, just to kind of help us work through this, is that eyewitness accounts can vary. So if you and I saw a car accident, all of our account would be different because we all saw the same thing in a different way. Are you still hearing what I'm saying? To, to help illustrate this, that in 1912 when the Titanic sank, when the, when the survivors were interviewed, did you know that many survivors said that the boat broke in half and sank? And many survivors said the boat did not break in half and sank, it just sunk without breaking? How could you even get a different viewpoint of that? We're looking at one boat. But we have different variations of perspective, why? Eyewitness accounts. But here's what we know. The Titanic still sank. So when you read the scripture and skeptics will say, there's contradictions. No, these are perspectives of eyewitness accounts that are complementary, not contradicting. Here's what we know, he still raised from the dead. Can I get an amen, somebody? So not only is the Bible historically accurate, the Bible is, number two, scientifically accurate. Scientifically accurate. There are things that the Bible says that we are just finding out. One famous mathematician and astronomer said that science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. In other words, God established gravity and we are just finding out about it. God established biology and we are just finding out about it. God established the rules of mathematics and we are just finding out about it. How many of you know that science is constantly changing its mind? One week, you can read an article that says, you can eat these eggs, you're gonna grow a foot taller and live 10 years longer. One month later, read that same source, different article, if you eat eggs, you're gonna be dead in 24 hours. But there are things in the word of God that has been there for thousands of years that we are just finding out about. Let me give you an example. Many people, and there may be some, in you, some of you in here today, and I don't mean to disrupt you, but some of you, maybe, but for thousands of years, we believed in the flat earth. 
I don't mean to disrupt some of you in here today. But the Bible, 2,600 years ago, said this in Isaiah 40, 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Thousands of years, people have been debating if the earth was flat. And the Bible's letting us know that it's not. And if you're mad at me today, my email is email me at TysonCunningham at VibrantChurch.com. I'm just telling you the truth. Some people believe for thousands of years that the earth was held up by something. Hindus believe that elephants held the earth on their back. And the elephant, this is true, stood on the back of a sea turtle. And the sea turtle stood on the back of a sea serpent. And the sea serpent was swimming in the cosmos. And if there ever was an earthquake, that was an elephant shifting its weight. We're talking thousands of years of a reason with the smartest minds of the day. That's what we came up with. The Greeks thought that Atlas held their world up. Other people thought that the earth was flat and held up by five different pillars. But we go all the way back to the Bible. Job 26, verse seven. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Here's another one, rain. For thousands of years, people thought that when it rained, the gods were crying. And now you can go to any elementary school and talk to every third grader and they will tell you that it is evaporation, precipitation, condensation creates rain. But we didn't know that. Did you know that? We didn't understand that science till 400 years ago. We had no clue. This is what the Bible says, Job 36. He draws up the drops of water, which distill as rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture, and abundant showers fall on mankind. What? <laughs> Nonsense. I thought the gods were crying. How about this? Stars. People were writing material thousands of years ago that there was only 1,022 stars in the universe because that's what you could count. That's what you can see with your naked eye. So they begin to publish material, teach it in schools, teach it to people. Everybody, common sense, knowledge, knew. Only 1,022 stars ever, forever, and always. 300 years later, we're talking 300 years, somebody came out and said, no, there's 1,026 stars. You're wrong, rewrite the material, because we're now so advanced. Well, now it is common knowledge, but one article said that the number of stars are infinite. It is widely accepted today that there are more stars than there is sand. Jeremiah 33:22. And as the stars of the sky cannot be counted, and the sand on the seashore cannot be measured. Because could it be that we are just catching up to what God has already established? Here's another one, blood. Did you know for hundreds of years, when somebody was sick, they were imbalanced to medical science or medical research at the time. They would consider it imbalanced and they would do a thing called bloodletting. 
and they would bleed you out. So if your mama got a runny nose, you just cut her open like a pig. <laughs> Don't tweet that part of my message, but. Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. We were taking blood thinking we were making them better. You can research all this. Now we know when somebody's sick, we can give a transfusion of blood. We know they live because of blood. But the Bible knew something that we're just learning about. That's in the 16th century, we just found out that the heartbeat circulates blood. We thought the heart was just keeping our chest warm. Doesn't this sound silly? But this is science catching up to the Bible. Am I talking to anybody today? I'll give you one more. Germs. In the 14th century, the Black Plague killed millions of people. In the 14th century was the first time we ever implemented quarantining. First time ever. Where we take an individual and put them away. That wasn't that long ago. Leviticus 13, four says, put an infected person in quarantine for seven days. Science is possibly catching up to the wisdom of the word of God. It's hard for people to imagine that, right? It's hard for people to believe that the word of God could bring wisdom and insight and inspiration, that it is not an outdated, barbaric book from the past. It is a book that is alive and well. The Bible says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Am I talking to anybody today? Here's another one. Historically, it's not only historically accurate, scientifically accurate. Here's another one, and this is really big. It is prophetically accurate. Throughout the pages of the Bible, there are over 1,200 uh, prophecies in Scripture foretelling the future. 353 of those prophecies are about Jesus Christ coming. Now that may not sound super amazing to you, and it wouldn't be if it had one author. But it was 40 different authors inspired by God. Let me say it like this, we had 40 different writers and one author. 40 different writers from three different continents speaking three different languages and 353 of them are, pro 353 prophecies are given about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, that says where he will be born, how he will be born, where he will be born, how he is gonna die, what he's gonna do in his ministry, 1,000 years before he came. It is prophetically accurate. There's an image I want you to see that the Bible, written over that timeline, has 63,779 cross-references with each other. Look at that. The image is scriptures. The dead center of that's around, uh, is around Psalms 119. That is the Bible referring to each other, to itself. It just blows my mind to think that these individuals didn't have contact. Hundreds of years apart. Vody Bachman said this, that I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents. 
written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses reporting supernatural events that took place in, the in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claiming their writings are divine and not of human origin. I guess I can get a little tired of Christian people being viewed as ignorant. We're always viewed as just, we don't know anything, we're not intelligent, they're, they're trusting some book that was written by man. No, no, no. One, one professor said that those who keep putting the scripture and doubting its validity are intellectually lazy. Because if you just do the work, you find that it is historically accurate, you find that it is scientifically accurate, you find that it is prophetically accurate. And one of the most amazing things you can think about is this, the Bible has survived all opposition. If that doesn't say a lot to you, that says a lot to me, that there is not one book in human history that has been banned more. There is not one book in human history that has been burned and banned and buried and been completely forsaken. They've tried to, they have murdered people who were translating it into languages for common men. This book has been oppressed by kings and politicians and governments for thousands and thousands of years. But Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never, ever, ever pass away. The word still is being preached in 2023. They haven't been able to ban it. They haven't been able to stop it. And I've come to tell you today, you can try to pull it off of our cold, dead fingers, but I've come to tell you today, you can never get rid of the power of the spoken word, the preached word, the believed word of God. <laughs> Lastly, the Bible has transformative power. Can I tell you today, that's my story. My story is of raised pastor's kid in the Pentecostal church. And you can't get any than that. And I went to a church where everybody had like sensational experiences with God. Like they get up in the morning and be like, I woke up today and an angel carried me from the bedroom uh, to the kitchen table. And the next thing I knew, I was chewing this food, had no idea where it came from. And I'm like, huh? Well, <laughs> oh, I got up this morning and I saw a vision over my bed. And it was angels and Jesus and Moses and they were just asking me about my day. I'm like confused. Because that's not my story. Now don't get me wrong, I believe in the supernatural power of God. I believe in miracles and signs and wonders. But what really changed my life was when I just found the word of God. And in my late teenage years, I just fell in love with it. I found it to be life-changing. 
I found it to be filling. And, and what I found was that in the natural, when we eat, we satisfy hunger. But what I found out in the spiritual, you, when you eat, you intensify hunger. I just think of when Jesus said, men shall not live by just bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Isaiah 66, 2 says that God's eyes are on those who are humble, who are contrite, broken, and who tremble at his word. God's word says that God notices people who take his word Psalms chapter one, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but, but his delight is in the law. And he, and he meditates day and night. Verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all he does, he prospers. The Bible says blessed is the man and woman who is not letting outside sources influence who they are becoming. Blessed is the man and woman who is not putting in their system things of the world, not standing in the way of sinners and mockers, the Bible says, but their delight, their delight, their delight's in the word of God. And not only is it an enjoyment, they, they meditate on it. And the word meditation means to internalize it. And the Bible says that when we begin to internalize the word, we will be planted or grounded and we will be fruitful and it will be long-lasting and whatever we do will prosper. As I internalize the Word of God, as I get the Word of God on the inside of me and let the Word of God work on the inside of me and I become obedient and I let it shape me and change me, the Bible says that it will make my way prosperous, Joshua 1.8, and make me have good success. So as the Word of God gets in me, my family begins to prosper. My mind begins to prosper. My attitude begins to prosper. My relationships and my business and my life begins to prosper. As I allow the Word of God to go to work in me, if you want a Word from God, you have to open up the Word of God. As you see this here today, this is a plant, it's called a milkweed something rather. It's, it is legal. Not everybody at the second service is always as saved as helping us all along, you know. I'm just joking. But this is a, this is a wildflower that grows about three to four feet high What's interesting about it, it grows really good in low parts of the yard where water can go. It grows well by ponds or lakes or some lowland. But 
What's interesting about it is that the roots go 10 feet deep. And that a lot of times when we see something, this has flowers and it buds beautifully. And when you see this, you can be tempted to see how prospered, how beautiful, how luscious it is by what you can see. But what makes it what you can see is what you can't see. Because the roots underneath go 10 feet deep. When the top only goes four, the roots on this, this wild flower go much deeper, pulling all the nutrients. It is more grounded than you would think. And can I tell you today that as we begin to put the word of God in us, our roots go deeper, grow richer, grow stronger, that when the waves of life begin to crash and the winds of life begin to blow and opposition gets difficult, instead of running to fear and to worry, sometimes when you have your roots down in the dirt, you will know that when weapons are coming against you, you can speak to that moment and encourage yourself and know what his word says and your roots grow down deep and you remind yourself, hey, actually, I know what's happening to me, but his word said that no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper, that I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. When fear begins to come into your life, you just begin to remind yourself what the Word of God says, and you tell yourself, can self listen to you, tell you the Word of God that says that no weapon? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. As I remind myself of what He says, I become more rooted in where I am. Jesus says, you'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The winds came, the rain fell, the flood showed up, but you were still there. And those who built their house on faulty foundation, sand, worldviews that were not aligned with God's word, that when hard times came, their house didn't stand. And the Bible says, and great was the fall of it. But I believe that God is raising up a generation of people who want to know the truth of God's word, that they're tired of a famine with no word being spoken. They want the true, unadulterated, life-giving, life-filled, spirit-empowered word spoken in their life. I guess I look around and I see a generation of people that are being discipled by TikTok, that are being discipled by YouTube, being discipled by some hurt church person. Some of you in this room are feeling like you have no purpose in your life, but Jeremiah 29 11 says that he has a purpose. He's already got you covered. Psalms 139 says that you were born in utter seclusion and he was there. Are you going to trust what you feel? Or are you going to trust what he says? Can I pray with you today?
Father, I pray that our church would trust what you say, that we will be one of the people who tremble at your word, that we will take serious the written word of God, that it will be something that will grow deep in our hearts, deep in our lives, that when hard times come, we will know that you keep us stable. With eyes closed all over the room, if you don't know Christ today, you need to know this. He died for you so that you can live. You don't even know what you feel today, but can I tell you, it's the conviction power of the Holy Spirit drawing you to this moment, saying to you today, come. Surrender once and for all. He died so that your sins can be forgiven. He, he died so that you can have a purpose in this life, and he died so that you can have eternal life in heaven. If you're in this room and you've drifted away from God or you don't know God at all, here's what I want you to do. Don't leave this room without saying yes to Jesus once and for all. If you're ready, I want you to make that commitment and say, I am making the decision to go all in today right now. You don't have to have everything together. You don't have to have church clothes. You don't have to have a certain Bible. You don't have to, listen, just come as you are. You're in a safe place. Every person in this room is a broken mess without Jesus. Actually, we're still broken with Jesus. We just know our help comes from God. And if you're in the room today, come on church, begin to pray. If you're in the room today and you need to say yes to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. Just say yes to Jesus. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. People saying yes to God. Come on church, that's a beautiful thing. People saying yes to Jesus today. It's amazing. How can people get saved off preaching on the verification of the power of the Word of God? The Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing what God can do? People saying yes to Jesus. Here's what I want us all to do. Close our eyes all across the room and pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean with your blood. Make me new. I want to follow you. I surrender my life. Lead me. Guide me. Make me, and forever, I'll trust your word. In Jesus' name, if you believe it today, give God a big, big praise.